2: two minutes to play. With the right hand and authority! McKee gets it in the middle
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. And joining me, as he does every Monday, is the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man?
2: Not too much. I don't know what to do with myself. Pacers with eight days off, nine days off between games. I mean, my God, this uh, I've heard of all-star breaks, but holy crap, let's get
1: some basketball, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it got to the point yesterday where I actually checked out a little bit of the XFL, uh, so that's that's what it's come to at this point. Right. It feels like the dog days of summer when it's just baseball on. But uh I did
2: the same thing.
1: Did you really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So, uh I watched a little bit of that Seattle game. I forget who they were playing. Um Uh Tampa, I think. That's right with uh Tressman, the old Bears coach. I thought I did think it yeah. was kind of cool how they Go to the coaches live and they have a camera on them calling the play out for a critical down. I thought that was kind of cool. I know that would never happen in the NFL, but I, I like the, you know, kind of the inside scoop type thing.
2: And not surprisingly, at least if my memory serves, Trustman has been unable to kind of formulate a strategy to get an offensive touchdown this season, so that's not <laughs> going to surprise anybody from Chicago.
1: <laughs> no, and, you know, it is uh, Chicago football has just not been that great uh, no. over the last, you know, couple decades, really. I mean, back to Erlacher, <laughs> probably the last time they were a great team. But anyway, we're here to talk Pacers basketball, and so, As we're kind of in this dead period, like you mentioned, Kent, we're going to just kind of look forward to the rest of the season and some of the things that we're looking forward to. So I came up with 10 Pacers questions that I'm going to ask you. and We're just going to go back and forth talking about it. So let's start off. Question number one, how many wins do the Pacers finish with? You know, in order
2: to get to 50, they got to win two out of every three. And, And I think that that's a reasonable thing to expect. From the Pacers, I think they should be able to win two of every three. They did that for a period of time in the first half of the season until Oladipo came back. I think they're going to be a better team in the second half of the season. I think they're going to win fifty.
1: Wow, fifty wins—that would be awesome. Yeah, I, I I thought they'd probably win around fifty when the season started. So, uh, but with how everything's been going, I think that win against Milwaukee kind of has made us forget about that six-game losing streak prior. So I'm still not sure if they've really found their groove yet. And with this break coming the win it, uh, when it did, I'm sure the rest was needed. But did it affect their chemistry at all? I guess we'll have to see. The, the schedule's not too terribly hard, so 50 doesn't seem impossible. But I'm going to I, – it sounds kind of like a cop-out, but I'm going to stick with 48 wins like they had last year.
2: Well, if they can't get to 50, then they should have shut Vic down and not had him play at all this year. <laughs> Because if he doesn't play, they get to 50, right? So if he's a net negative over the second half of the season or from when he came back, then what the hell are we doing?
1: Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, don't you just want them to be ready for April? Isn't that the kind of the thing, though?
2: Well, that's the, if they can get better, then he, you know, they will be ready for April, and, and they'll win two out of every three, and they'll get to 50. Okay. You know what I mean? Because yeah. really, I mean, if you can't get to 50, you're not going to – have home court advantage through the uh, first round of the playoffs, and if you finish five through eight, someplace in there, it, and really, I think seven and eight are probably out of the equation. But if you finish fifth or sixth, you're not going to win a first round series. That isn't going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I see. I'm not. I'm not so sure they couldn't win a first round series, just depending on the matchup. But um, it really just. As long as they're playing good basketball heading into the playoffs, that's my biggest concern. But I guess moving forward, question number two was what playoff matchup do you prefer for the Pacers? So what team do you think that we match up with the best?
2: You know, this is going to sound asinine, and I understand it on the front end of the answer, but I would choose the Celtics because I just think that we match up better against the Celtics for some reason. They play team basketball. They don't have a dominant big you know, they're, I, I think that they're the team that the Pacers have the best chance to succeed against. If they played somebody like the 76ers, I don't see that as a good thing. Obviously, the Bucks would be terrible. Um, you, you look at the Miami Heat, I, I think that the Heat have a better collection of parts right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Eric Spolstra. I mean, you know, when he first came to the Heat, and and it was he with LeBron and and Wade and Bosh, I thought, okay, he's more like a camp counselor, really, than a coach. But that guy, I was completely wrong. That guy's a hell of a coach. I, I So I really don't like any of them.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: I'd pick the Celtics.
1: Yeah, and, and that's one of the things for me, too. It's like I was looking at this, and I'm thinking – well, it would be interesting to see us against Boston because they don't have any really big men outside of Daniel Tyson. He's only like six foot seven, so he's not necessarily that big. So to me personally, it's like I I, I kind of want to see that Celtics series, but I'd also like to see them play him a little bit more in the playoffs and see how they look against him. Uh, a team that we've actually played pretty well against this year is the Toronto Raptors, and I know that that's a team that has you know got a great coach and they've been playing really good basketball so it's not like you would prefer that matchup but I think the Pacers match up well with them uh, especially with how they you know have Gasol and Abaca you know they do have size and they're I mean they have a Pascal Siakam but it, it can be Kyle Lowry it can be you know a Fred Van Vliet every every night so they have different guys that can beat you but you know like you kind of mentioned with Boston, they're not like so like one star driven kinda like we've seen with previous teams with LeBron. So uh personally I, I I think that I would maybe lean towards Toronto right now just because of how well we've played them. But like you said, I think Boston is a really intriguing matchup as well.
2: Yeah, if 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 the playoffs started today, we don't know what they're gonna look like, as you alluded to in the middle of April. We don't know what that team's gonna look like. If they look like this one, I think it's an academic question. You know, it's a, a one and done for the Pacers in the
1: playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so let's move on. Question three is kind of similar to question two. It is which playoff matchup do you hate for the Pacers? Uh, so, is there a, a <laughs> one that you just absolutely hate for this team?
2: Well, again, I kind of hate them all. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think that the Pacers again, cut as that team that since Vic came back is two and six. I don't see them being successful in the postseason. If you can't beat the Knicks, and if you got to go to overtime to beat the Bulls, you got some fundamental problems. So, uh, but one one matchup I really don't like is if they had to play, and I don't think they will have to play him in the first round. I hate a matchup with the 76ers. And, and I went to see, I think it was the Pacers 76ers on New Year's Eve. Uh-huh. And, and that, I mean, the Pacers just absolutely waxed their ass. And so that was, that was fun to watch. But I think as that team gets playoff ready, I think they're going to be really good. I think Embiid is going to put behind him all the noise. I think that Simmons is going to be a team first guy. I think that that is a really tough matchup for uh for the Pacers if it winds up being the 76ers that's going to be
1: difficult so the thing with Philadelphia they are terrible on the road this season I'm not sure if that makes uh, that much of an an, an impact for the playoffs but uh, as far as if you could maybe get them in a four or five matchup and be the home team you might like your chances now the two wins the Pacers do have against them they had no Joel Embiid so right. that is the biggest difference maker because even the game that we almost beat them in when we lost in Philadelphia, uh, Embiid was really good that game. The Pacers just down the stretch couldn't get the plays done, and it was a, it was a tough loss. But at the same time, you know I understand the concerns because they're big, and that would it would be an interesting matchup. I just don't like our chances against the Joel Embiid type guy with our no. centers, and uh, I feel like we'd really get in foul trouble have to really kind of play a different style but i think it'd be a competitive series i mean i think it'd be a six or seven game series but the, the reason i might hate this matchup the most is just having to deal with their fans for a seven <laughs> game series might be right. the most annoying thing to do uh you know miami heat fans you can kind of just trigger them real easy and it, don't take them seriously but as far as philadelphia fans i mean those fans will boo their own players so just imagine how they treat opponents and, and opposing <laughs> players i mean Sabonis so was getting ticked off at him. We've seen Miles Turner flip him off before. It's just like they can really get in your heads, and I just don't want to have to deal with that for the Pacers players. So uh, that would be my matchup. I would hate the most uh, as far as a realistic first round matchup I could see. So, uh, what are your thoughts on their fans?
2: Oh, you know what i <clears throat> I see that as noise that's got to be either ignored or used as fuel. If opposing fans can get in your head to the point that you alter your play in the negative. I think that just shows a weakness of character that I would hope none of the Pacers would actually exhibit. You know, if you're if you're that kind of guy, I mean, my God, how many guys have been, you know, yelled at throughout time, True. whether it was Bird or Jordan or Barkley or or any of the old lame beer. I mean, my God, no player has ever been hated at the le- by opposing fans at the level of Lane beer. And he just kind of used it to fuel him. So I would hope that that would become what the Pacers would do rather than take any of it seriously or react negatively to it. I think flipping guys the bird. Hey, you know what? If you're making 18 million bucks a year and, and you're out there playing basketball for your 18 million and you can get rankled by, you know, some guy making $45,000 a year who lucked into a pair of seats down by the court and is acting like a jerk. You know, I mean, what the hell are you doing? Uh, that's like getting pissed off at Twitter.
1: Right, You know, right. That,
2: that's just crazy. I mean, You know, it, it, take a deep breath, understand who you are, understand your lot in life is pretty damn good, right. and put that, it, it, although I enjoyed doing that myself, like down low, and the only guy who I think I ever got under his skin was, oddly, Dickie Simpkins when he played for the Bulls. And uh, we were in the front row on the baseline at MSA, and uh, Dickie, I, he caught right in front of me, two feet from me. And I yelled, shoot, 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 and he <laughs> shoots, and he missed. He shot five straight uh misses in front of me with me screaming at him the entire time. Shoot sure it, Dickie or do and, and and Dickie just kept missing and missing and missing. Never looked at me though. And uh yeah, that was fun. I, I thought I taught my uh my son something about basketball that day with him at MSA.
1: <laughs> that is a great story, so, Kent. That is awesome. Uh but at least you weren't going like off the rail saying like inappropriate no. things. Which I think no, that, no. that's kind of what some Sixers fans can do uh we I mean for crying out loud Isaiah Thomas literally walked off the bench into the stands to say something to the fan and he said I'm sorry man I just wanted a frosty <laughs> like, <laughs> you know it's like what are what will these people do for free food it's unbelievable but um anyway let's move forward question number four now this was really uh, an intriguing thing that I noticed from the last Pacers win against the Bucks, and they played a small ball lineup so should the Pacers play more small ball with a lineup of TJ Warren, Jeremy Lamb, Oladipo, Brogdon, and then either Miles or Sabonis?
2: You know, I, I think it's always an option when, when you get to a point where you're trying to work matchups. Uh, and and I, actually, I kind of like the way uh, Nate has adjusted throughout games and, and kind of mixed things up a little bit with McConnell, as well as Lamb being with the ones. I think that's a good thing. But I think as far as starting a game, you want to go with your guys, and and those guys right now are are Brogdon, Oladipo, Warren, Sabonis, and uh, and Turner. Although you know what, Warren Warren is kind of like that that Swiss Army knife, right? You uh-huh. know, defensively he can guard multiple positions, he can score from anywhere on the floor. He he, he that I never noticed him when he played with the Suns. Is uh, is just ridiculous. When they got the deal, I had to look him up statistically to see just what he was and how he operated. And I am absolutely in love with his level of play through what's it been fifty five games so far this season.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I agree with you. I mean, I have been such a fan of TJ Warren, and that performance he put on Wednesday night, going sixteen of nineteen from the floor, it it just kind of shows you how efficient this guy can be, and he hits some of the most, you know, incredible shots, like shots that a lot of guys aren't taking. And I know a lot of his attempts are two pointers, but if you're going to shoot 16 for 19, who cares what uh, where you're shooting from right. on the floor? And and I think honestly, like I, I've been thinking this for a while and I haven't said it, but come playoff time, I can't envision uh, not having Warren, one of Warren, Vic or Brogdon on the floor at all times, just because those guys create so many shots and they can get them, their ability to get into the paint can create for so many other people. And I think we saw the perfect storm with Ola you know, on, on Wednesday night going five of seven. Uh, for the first yes. time, it felt like this year, the team, Victor Oladipo adjusted to the team instead of the team adjusting to Victor Oladipo. And it was beautiful basketball. Now, there was a little scary moment there at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, where Milwaukee made a little run. But, you know, I enjoyed what we saw from the small ball lineup when Turner came in for Sabonis when he got into foul trouble. Uh, You know, it it was nice to see Miles have a really nice game. And, you know, sometimes you're just... Not always going to have great games, and Sabonis didn't play bad. He just wasn't as effective, uh, shooting wise. I think it was four fifteen for the night. But at, at right. the end of the day, I, I, I kind of like seeing Warren play that for Kent. And sometimes, you know, I, I like watching Justin Holiday. But I think that Warren just a little bit bigger, a little bit thicker. So defensively, I think he might be a little bit better sometimes than uh than a Justin Holiday. But at the same time, Justin Holiday is one of our best defenders as well.
2: Well, there's nobody skinnier than Justin Holliday. He is a (laughs) really, really thin dude. But I totally echo what you said about Oladipo. Five for seven is Vic at his best. And we've talked about this, but when he shoots more than once every two minutes that he's in the game, the Pacers are a 500 team. When he shoots less, they win about 85% of their games. It's a 35% difference with Vic being judicious in his shot selection as opposed to being you know like chuckum vick you can't have chuckum vick and be a really good basketball team you just can't and i know he doesn't like to overthink basketball he keeps saying you can't overthink it but you know what you can think that much yeah you can think hey look if i shoot it every time i touch it we really let our chances to win are lessened
1: yeah and i mean that's kind of what we've been saying too you know just Take a good shot, but don't force. That That's kind of the thing. It's like you have too many great players around you or good players around you where you don't need to force everything. I mean, if it's a late shot clock situation, obviously that makes sense. But uh, I think that really just trying to find the open man, I really have enjoyed seeing him and Sabonis in the pick and roll. That's a guy that he's already got developed chemistry with. So I want to continue to see yeah. him, you know, use the areas that he's familiar with and then continue to grow with his other new teammates. But I thought Brogdon was unbelievable in that game as well, Kent. Just, you know, 13 rebounds, I believe it was. Or was it 13 assists? I can't remember. But he had uh, 17 points, I believe. He was probably the best game he had had in a couple weeks. And if the Pacers are going to be a force to reckon with in the playoffs, I really think Brogdon has got to be someone that's there every single night.
2: Yeah, I think he's key. And I think that he his adjustment to victor being on the floor has been one of the reasons that they're two and six yeah you know that was that was part of that deal i mean malcolm brogdon is capable of being a really really good player he was he had 13 assists the other night he had 17 points five rebounds if they can get that you're not going to get 13 assists every game out of malcolm brogdon but if you can get like seventeen, eight, and 5 out of brogdon the level of defense he plays, the way he's smart with the basketball, um, despite the fact that he had four turnovers against the Bucs, you know, that he is a force for good and really like I I know that everybody likes to say they're a leader on the team. I we've even heard that from Miles Turner that he's going to be a leader. Well, you know what, if you got a bunch of leaders and no followers, you really don't have any leaders. You just got got a bunch of, you know, a bunch of guys who are playing a different kind of basketball and aren't paying attention to one another, Mm -hmm. I think Brogdon is really the leader for this team. As much as Victor might want to think it's him, I think it's
1: Brogdon. Yeah, I mean, especially since Brogdon's been there all year. Uh, Maybe come next year we'll see Victor become more of the leader. But I think right now, like how Victor has said – he just wants to help these guys win, and I think that's kind of the role he's going to have to play this year, and it might be a little bit difficult for fans to like accept that he's not the number one option right now, or the number two option maybe, but I think over time, you know, as we get into next season, we'll probably start to see the chemistry develop between these guys because... This is their first time playing together, and there's not a uh, big enough sample size to really know what they can or cannot be a you know a full strength. So moving on, Kent, just to kind of change it up here a little bit, uh, the Pacers, they put a 3-2 zone in recently uh, during this horrible losing streak. They were just looking for answers and decided to throw a little bit of a 3-2 zone in there. So how has how, how that 3-2 zone looked to you, and do you think that's something they will use in the future?
2: I think it's a good change of pace, yeah. but I, I hope it's nothing more than that. I mean, it, to me, the Pacers with their length, they're built to play man-to-man defense and and close out quickly and and adjust as as basketball should be played. But going to a three-two every once in a while, you know, especially depending on who you play against, I think that's fine, and I, I think it shows a willingness for Nate to try different stuff and see how it goes. He's not intractable. And his defensive schematics and i think it's a good thing ultimately
1: yeah that's i mean when i've seen it at times it's looked okay it still looks like it's a little bit new to them almost a little yeah. bit foreign <laughs> it's been clunky at times so you know they've given up offensive rebounds but i don't really think that matters if they're playing zone or man at this point um uh, but you know just being the biggest thing with a 3-2 zone in any zone that you play is defensive communication so you know maybe that was a technique they were trying to use to help the guys work on their defensive communication because I felt like during that losing streak they were just having a hard time communicating what they were wanting to do defensively and we're getting constantly out of position so uh I, I'm with you I like the change of pace there's nothing too crazy about the zone I don't think it's going to be a game changer And I think you're right. This team is built to play man to man and I think with having a you know, a rim protector like Miles Turner behind you, you know, our our guards have to do a better job of getting into the teeth of the of the 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 defense and getting up on their guys and their ball handlers and almost funneling them towards Turner so he can affect their shots and setting them instead of letting them just kind of create their own. So uh man to man is my preference when I watch the Pacers, but the three two zone was a nice change of pace and it's it's something that I think can help but i don't think it's something they'll use a lot uh, i think it's kind of going to be sparingly so any other thoughts on that
2: no no i uh I, I just like coaches kind of dipping into their bag of tricks and and trying to work on some things and and get things you know if if plan a isn't working stop banging your head against uh the brick wall and and go to a plan b i don't have any problem with that
1: absolutely well this question is uh, going to be one that's, I think, fun to talk about. So, Miles Turner had a strong game Wednesday night against the Bucks, Kent. And yeah. I just want to ask you, what was different about Miles in that game compared to other games we've seen him in this year?
2: You know, I, I think really over about the last week prior to them going on the All-Star break, I, I think Miles just started playing with a different energy and thinking, okay, you know what, I can't just be this this 6'11 guy who stands in a corner, I got to get active in this offense. And I don't know whether it was like Billy Bano saying, hey, look, you got to look for yours a little bit or or what it was. But he was just different. You know, mm-hmm. he, he started accepting the ball on the block. They were working it to him on the block. He started to go to work down there and put the ball in the bucket. And really the offensive game that he showed against the Bucks where he had 14 points. I think that that was really good. That's a good spot for him to be in. You know, that's when he scores six. Like that's what are you doing? You know, yeah. you're 6'11", you're you're a guy who who can catch, you're a good shooter. Let's go. I I think that that team's better when he's a little bit more aggressive in in catching and putting the ball up on the rim trying to get it in. Uh And I think that that's what happened over the course of the last week prior to the break that that he just started looking for his a little bit you it, it, basketball is such a funny game you know if you defer too much you you really hurt your team mm-hmm. if you don't defer enough, you really hurt your team there's a there's a sweet spot for everybody on the floor and I think that miles kind of found his sweet spot over the last week,
1: yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I was really impressed with the energy that he was playing with. Like you mentioned, it just seemed like he was a little bit more aggressive on every set and every aspect of the game, uh, going for rebounds. You know, putting the ball on the floor a little bit more, getting to the hoop. You know, knocking down the open threes when he was in there, and you know that's just the kind of game he needs to have. And I think we know this when guys are more involved offensively. It almost encourages them to play a little bit better defense for some reason and I think you know when you're just left out there not touching the ball when you're supposed to be the the spread four out there uh, it can be kind of a challenge and and so you kind of just get frustrated with your lack of involvement in the offense and while he has definitely made a sacrifice on that end I think it has been uh, beneficial for the team that he has made that sacrifice because I think Putting Sabonis in the position that Miles was in last year is better for the team offensively, but I do think that Miles still needs to get touches in that pick and pop situation and not just be completely made a stretch forward. So the question that a lot of fans brought up was why was Turner not re put into that game against Milwaukee or not Milwaukee, uh, Brooklyn on Monday when they lost by one point after he had such a strong first three quarters? I mean, do you think that McMillan should maybe defer a little bit to justin holiday in those moments and put miles back in you know
2: i i don't here's the thing that that i learned in in kind of being in the room when when decisions are made is that we're not always aware of just what in the hell's going on and and what the reasons for the decision were it didn't make a lot of sense in the moment maybe nate just kind of didn't have his head together and and didn't do the right thing maybe there was a matchup that they were getting exposed on on the other end i'm not sure what happened but um you know i would have liked to have seen him in the game i mean obviously they lost the game by a point so so we get critical if they had won a game the game by a point we would we wouldn't think twice about it but right. it, it would be nice to know if i'd have been there i'd have asked after the game i'd say well you know what, what were your thoughts and i i think that uh the answer would have been illuminating
1: yeah, and, and to be honest, like they brought him in for 10 seconds on one play and really him, him being out on the court for that play didn't even make that big of a difference. So right. it, it was just one of those things where personally, like I even said this on a couple other shows that I've done this week, was I, I would like to see Miles just, you know get a little bit more minutes than 23 minutes a game like it's hard to get in the rhythm offensively and defensively if you're coming in after sitting out for so long in the fourth quarter and really be effective cuz coming off the bench like that i mean these are nba players that should be ready but it does make a difference when you're used to logging close to 30 minutes and you're only getting 22 to 24 a game like that's tough and, and as good as sabonis has been i mean we do know that his flaws can be pick and roll defense and protecting the rim sometimes he'll get in good position but you know guys get themselves into Sabonis and he can kind of wipe swipe down at their arm getting a foul so you know obviously Turner is the elite rim protector of this team and Sabonis while he's great on offense he does lack in that defensive area so I think You know, just giving Miles more opportunities to be with Sabonis, even though they probably do play a little bit better off. You know, not playing with each other, they've still been pretty good together, and I think they've figured out how to make it work. And I will say this: one thing I absolutely love is just how positive both of them are for one another, because we're not used to seeing Sabonis in foul trouble sitting out in crunch minutes of the fourth quarter, but that game against Milwaukee, I mean, Miles was in there making a difference with the starters and Jeremy Lamb while Sabonis was watching, but every time they made a stop and hit a shot, I mean, you see Sabonis on the bench, fist pumping, getting into it, getting excited for his guys, so I just think that, you know, those two guys have such a great relationship that they just want to win, and they want what's best for the team, and I personally just think getting Miles more minutes and if he continues to play with that same energy, the Pacers are a much better team.
2: You know what, though? If he's matched up on the defensive end against a guy who can handle and and who can catch out on the perimeter or, or even you know 15 feet out, he's exposed, right? I mean, Miles just can't move laterally with the quickness necessary to stay in front of a lot of guys, even a lot of bigs. So again, it's kind of a matchup thing. And, and I do like what they've done. Like Domas, it seems, is stepping out, and he's taking more threes, which opens up kind of the block for Miles to occupy offensively. And I think that that's a good adjustment that that they, the Pacers seem to have made uh, over the last week or two.
1: Yeah, and I have noticed with Miles is when he gets a smaller defender on him, when he gets the ball in the post, uh, I think his best move in that situation is just a turnaround jumper. And he doesn't think about it. He just shoots over his guy. And sometimes it might be a little bit of a quick release and he might not hit it. But I feel like that's more comfortable than trying to watch him back down and see if he can kind of play with his back to the basket. Because I don't feel like that's his game at all. So I do like seeing the turnaround jumper just real decisive. Doesn't have to take forever to make his mind up on what he's going to do. Because... Some players, they just need to know what their go-to move is and do it and, and instead of overthinking what the defense is doing. So, anyway, I mean, that, that's a good point, too, that you brought up with his defense on guards. Yeah, he he does appear to stay with him a little bit sometimes because he's lanky enough, but at the end of the day, you always see him just so close to blocking it, but they get around him just quick enough where he can't get to their shot. So I, I do think that matchups make a difference, and I think – Part of the problem, I think we talked about this last week, is we played teams that uh, a lot of teams recently that have small ball power forwards. And yeah. I think that's why he's that McMillan might have been going with a Justin Holiday over Turner in those situations, just because he he felt like the matchup made more sense. But at the end of the day, I think you want to have your best defensive player out there more than likely uh, at the end of the game. So let's move on, Kent. Question number seven is, was Wednesday's game against Milwaukee a sample of how the Pacers should play for the remainder of the season? So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it was certainly more successful than the previous six games, so I <laughs> like it. But but the Bucks were down some guys. Uh, we didn't see George Hill. We didn't see Antetokounmpo. Not that George Hill somehow should be listed ahead of the Greek freak. But you know what? I, I thought that they played exceptionally well in stretches, and then I really thought that they kind of they played sloppy enough that uh, that the Bucks were able to kind of remain in some kind of contact with the Pacers. So I, I was cool with how they played. Obviously, I mean, winning by seven against a team that had won 40 of their last 44 is really, really good. But um, I would like to see the Pacers play more possession to possession rather than play have their their play dictated by the score which is what i inferred from what was going on i'd rather have them close out games uh in in a stronger fashion than than what they did they gotta they gotta remain aggressive and and continue to attack and not say, you know what, we're up 18, we're up 20, we're up 22, and kind of call off the dogs. I, I think that the thing that you want to do when you're up 22 is get up 24 and and then try to get up 30. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that you can ever score enough points or have enough defensive possessions where you keep them from scoring to uh, at least you can't do it enough to please me.
1: Yeah, don't take your foot off the gas, and I think the game that – I'm reminded of the most when I see the Pacers giving up big leads is that game against Cleveland. I think it was game three back when Paul George was still here with Miles Turner. Uh, I think it was his rookie year. I'm pretty sure. And it might've, might've been his second year. I can't remember, but it was when, when the Cavs were down by 18 and then just came out and just completely torched the Pacers in the third quarter and ended up yeah. winning that game by like 10 points, I think, or something. And, and it was just like, how did this happen? Like you're feeling great. Turner dunks on Tristan Thompson. And uh, the whole place, the whole building was electric. And then they end up just falling out in that game. And it was unbelievable. Like, you just did not see it coming. So I always think about that when I see the Pacers with big leads. It's like, please just hold on to this. Keep your neck, keep your foot down on the neck of that team. and, And don't let them breathe at all. Because the Pacers have got to continue to get more guys involved. And I think the Pacers are best when you see, you know, like we've seen all year, six to seven guys in double digits. It's not a a recipe for success when two guys have twenty point or thirty point games, and then everybody else is just kind of barely at eight or nine. Like that's just not the best way to play basketball. And I think you know the turnovers were not too high in that game. Uh, They were really pretty good against Brooklyn, where they only committed six turnovers. I think you know keeping turnovers down, winning the rebounding uh, battle is are two of the biggest stats as far as that goes. And getting to the free throw line was another thing that I liked. The Pacers did a lot better in that Bucks game. I think they had 21 free throw attempts. I can't remember. I don't have the stats up. But uh, just getting to the line because they've been outshot the free throw line quite a bit in that losing streak. And they just have to be more aggressive. And and, and playing team basketball, playing aggressive basketball is a recipe for success in my opinion.
2: Yeah, they got to the line 24 times and knocked down 19 of them. Uh, Not a great night from threes, hitting 9 of 27. but. To me, you know, three-point shots, is sometimes they're going to go in, sometimes they're not going to go in. And we got to remember this, too. It, it, so it's the quality of the shot, not necessarily the result of the shot. They're on scholarship. I mean, the, the Bucks didn't want to get blown out by 40 points, so they're right. going to change the way they play a little bit. We tend to focus on the Pacers because that's what we do. We know those guys. We watch them play. But the, the tenor of the opponent is also going to determine – Kind of what, how successful you can be from possession to possession. So, you know, it's it's not like, well, you're up by 24. What the hell's the matter with you? Why aren't you up by 48 now? You know, that's not really the way the game works in the NBA.
1: No, it's not. We know no lead is uh, big enough in the NBA because, like we mentioned, the three point shot. It's so you know such a valuable tool and a weapon for teams to come back with. It's just you just got to be smart, and when things are going uh, a little bit the wrong way you just got to figure out how to right that ship every team's going to go on their runs we see it all the time you just don't let that run become a 15 point run let it be eight and then nip it in the bud so uh anyway let's move on we got three more questions left so question number eight is what are your expectations for victor oladipo the last part of the season
2: my expectation is this that Victor Oladipo becomes happy being a member of this team rather than the focal point of this team. If he does that, this is going to be a real good team and a tough out in the playoffs. If he doesn't do that, then they're a very easy team to guard. And when they go four wide and, and Victor's got the ball 10 feet extended from the top of the key, guess what? Victor's going to shoot the damn basketball. So defending them becomes easy when Victor is a part of what's going on rather than believing himself to be the great Victor Oladipo, the Pacers are a much better team, and they could really cause problems for a lot of teams in when when we finally get to mid-April.
1: So let me ask you this, because some people might think you're being a little harsh on Victor if they're listening to this, and I just want to clarify, you're just talking about for this season, right? You don't think... After another season of, or another off season of workouts and coming back next year, do you think next year Victor can be, you know, the guy he was two years ago?
2: I don't want Victor to be that guy.
1: Okay, so why is that? Because the
2: Pacers, I mean, well, because they got swept in the playoffs. That's why I want this team to win a championship, and Victor Oladipo is not LeBron James, and Victor Oladipo is not the Greek freak, Victor Oladipo is not the son of and everybody else on the, on the Pacers roster, the planets orbiting that sun. If Victor Oladipo decides he needs to be that kind of guy, the Pacers ultimately are not going to succeed. So, yeah, I, I mean, look, if, if he makes the all-star team from now until forever, that's wonderful for him. You know what? But I don't think that that's necessarily wonderful for the Pacers. If he's going to go out and average 24 points a game, that's going to diminish what this team is. If This team isn't built for one guy to go out and score 24, 25 points a game. This team is built to share the wealth, have six, seven, eight guys scoring in double figures, all being necessary offensively in order to compete at a high level. And if Victor decides not to overthink – But just go out there and play and let Victor be Victor is not a good thing, ultimately, for this
1: team. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that Victor is the best player on this team when everyone is fully healthy?
2: I think he's the most dynamic. Okay. You know, but look, I I mean, basketball is a weird sport, right? I mean, I say this, and I think people's eyes glaze over. But to me, basketball is like music. You know, if you've got a band that are very harmonious and they all play great together, they can play great music without being virtuosos. You know, you don't need to have Jeff Beck as your guitarist in order to be a great rock and roll band. You don't need to have Miles Davis as your trumpet player in order to be a great jazz quintet. What you need are guys who play really, really well together, compete well together, have each other's backs, and know how to get each other the basketball in a place where they can score it. If you have that kind of team harmony, you got a chance to do some really, really good things. If you don't have that, you better have the best in the world on the floor during that given moment in order to be successful and to win championships. With LeBron James. I, at least the eight years ago, LeBron James, you put yourself in the conversation. Well, it, it, here, I'll give you another kind of arcane example of this is Michael Jordan. All right. Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA and, and it wasn't close. And this is from 1986 to about 1989 and 90. He was the best player in the league, but he had yet to figure out that it's a team game and that he needed Scottie Pippen to be really, really good on both ends of the floor. Mm -hmm. When all of a sudden, Michael Jordan became very focused on Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen's development as a player, not just in games, getting him the basketball, but Scottie Pippen coming to Michael Jordan's house and working out and working out and working out. When that started to be Pippen's focus, and more importantly, when that started to be Jordan's focus, the Bulls got really, really good. They became, and when Michael started to put on weight a little bit and put on the muscle necessary to be able to contest with the banging that went on uh, from Detroit, all of a sudden the Bulls got great and they won a bunch of championships. With Michael Jordan and the Pips, it did not work. With Michael Jordan lifting everybody else, Then it works. That's where this team's got. And that was with Michael Jordan, for God's sake. The most dynamic athlete probably in the history of the league. So Victor Oladipo is not Michael Jordan. But if he can be that kind of leader, that kind of guy who pulls these guys up, then you got a chance. So I really don't think it matters whether he's the best player on the team, whether he's a first-team all-defense, whether he's an all-star I don't think it matters. I don't think that's the way you get to 60 wins and I don't think it's the way you hang banners. I think it's about the collective operating and in being rhythmic and harmonious and not necessarily the sum of the parts on the floor at any given moment.
1: And I think you make a great great points there and I think sometimes, you know, you're always looking for that guy to be the face of a franchise and you know, Vic can be that face, but at the same time what I think you're basically saying is he needs to be a collective part of what is this Pacer team is yes. instead of just a standout player. Kind of similar to a Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. Great numbers, bad team. But if you put Carl Anthony Towns with a team like the Lakers right now, he is you know a really good piece with you know other surrounding great players. So I, I get what you're saying, and I, I agree with that. I think that Victor, especially coming off that injury he he is a guy that just needs to take his time not force things and, and just embrace what you know what his role is and what the guys can provide for him as far as offensive output goes and you know take advantage of the times when he does have mismatches and can you know he can score 20 points in a game that's fine but he doesn't need to be you know scoring 20 to 25 points on 20 shots so right. n- not forcing it and getting others involved in you know, just being efficient. So I guess we could could call it quality over quantity in that sense. But uh, let's move on. Two more questions. Number nine, we're going to do a little fun exercise here. Uh, Rank the top five pacers of this season so far. So I guess we'll just kind of go from number one and work our way down. So number one, I've got Sabonis. Who do you got?
2: Yeah, I have Sabonis. I mean, the number of triple-doubles, double-doubles, the way he's a team-first guy, the way you can see in his eyes every second he's on the floor he's competing, I think he's one of those lifters for the Pacers, so I've got him ranked top.
1: Okay, and who do you have as number two?
2: Uh, I've got T.J. Warren. Same here. And and I think that that's as much about my expectations for T.J. Warren and and him exceeding those expectations is anything else i think warren's been fantastic on both ends and and a guy who can score literally from anywhere on the floor whether it's shooting threes mid-range at the bucket wherever you want with either hand uh, i think he's kind of that jack of all trades that really really helps he get buckets when everything else isn't working
1: yeah and i think another thing for warren before we got the concussion he hadn't missed a game all season so right. you know just availability has been a big part of well, I think he should be considered for the top five because he's been the Pacers' best scorer most of the time in most of the games. So I think defensively he's improved as well. He's he's definitely been much better than what I thought we were going to get. So uh, hard to beat a guy that got his first All-Star nod. So, uh, but I think it's a close second. I think he's been really, really good for this team. So number three, who do you got?
2: Well, that's where availability, I think, kicks in, and, and Malcolm Brogdon is number three because he just had such a, a variety of injuries and it has missed several games sporadically throughout the season. I think he's been terrific overall when he's been available, but his lack of availability, I think, in my mind, has him ranked third.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly where I put him, and just for that reason, I mean, when he's out there, the Pacers are a much better team. He did struggle a little bit during that during that losing streak, but I think overall, Uh, A healthy Brogdon, uh, a leader of this team, uh, a great point guard is exactly what you need. But the injuries have been a little bit worrisome for me. But overall, I think he's been fantastic this year. So let's move on. Number four, who do you got?
2: I got TJ McConnell. Okay. Because I think like if you don't have the second unit playing the way the second unit plays, I think the Pacers are more or less a 500 team. And I think he's kind of the, the straw that stirs that drink and makes it go. And, and that this is a guy who who just really legitimately, outside 12 feet, cannot shoot. And, and so here's a guy who knows what he does well, does it as well as he can, gets everybody else involved. I think mentally, psychologically, he's really important to this team, keeping everybody up over the course of an 82-game season, playing back-to-backs. I think his enthusiasm is contagious, and so I've got T.J. McConnell at number four.
1: Well, I went a little bit different here for me, so I went with Miles Turner, just because I really think that he has been a big part of this team's success, and sometimes it's a little bit overshadowed because you got a guy playing in the same position as him and Sabonis, who's got the All Star nod. The sacrifices that Miles has had to make on the offensive end. You know, like I said earlier in the show, I do think it's been beneficial for the team that he's done that, but I think that he's, you know, really not shown anything uh, as far as being disgruntled or anything like that. I mean, there's been times on the bench where you see him kind of maybe a little bit disengaged, but for the most part, he's a a great teammate, a great supporter of his team, and his rim protection is huge. The Pacers are a better team with Miles Turner than they are without him. So I wanted to give him some praise, even though the numbers might not be as high as we might like them to be on the rebounding end and the scoring end. But he's been playing less minutes, probably the lowest amount of minutes, over the last three years. And, you know, it's 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 been an adjustment for him. So I, I gave him number four. And the number five, I went with T.J. McConnell for all the reasons you said. So who was your number five?
2: Uh, I've got the holidays. I split it between the Holiday Brothers. I think Justin's been terrific. He's a good leader. He's a good leader for Aaron. I think that Aaron is a guy, this is really hard for him. And, And I had a conversation with him about how hard last year was where he kind of came in as a first-round draft pick and really thought that he was going to have a role with the team, the kind of role that he didn't wind up having. And he said it was really a challenge for him. And I think that this year, you know, with the talk around the trade deadline, knowing that Oladipo's coming back and that he's going to lose his spot in the rotation, I think that's tough. He stayed uh, ready to play. Both holiday – I I really like both guys. I think, uh, like I said, Aaron – because he's kind of figured it out psychologically how to be a good pro, or at least he's in the process of figuring it out. And I think that Justin has really been kind of that guy, sort of that late during the offseason pickup where you weren't sure really what he was going to be able to bring. You knew that he scored a ton of points uh, in in like the season finale with the, the Bulls, so you knew he was capable. But uh, I, I think that he's played well on both ends, and he's one of those glue guys. And, and the Pacers have got plenty of those guys who really kind of allow that roster to congeal a little bit and become better than the sum of the parts.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's that's a good one too because I mean, Aaron Holiday, what they've asked him to do has been uh, been tough. I mean, there's games where he starts. Where he plays huge minutes off the bench, and then it's like, okay, now that Victor's back, you got to go back to being out of the rotation. Like, and for a young player, that's probably hard to, you know, uh, adapt to, hard to really accept that and swallow that pill. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it, it's only going to make him a stronger individual, and and hopefully next year or the year after that he's really getting some significant minutes because i think at times he he has really been the difference maker for the pacers and some of these wins that they've gotten and you can say the same thing for justin holiday like the fact that he came in and you mentioned it he's the thinnest guy on the team and he's playing the the small ball power forward for the second unit and his post-defense is actually really incredibly impressive considering his height uh, disadvantage and his weight disadvantage. He's just a very smart basketball player and definitely a glue guy that's been huge for this team, especially that second unit. So I'm all with that as well. I, I would consider, I consider them actually Justin Holliday specifically for my fifth spot, but I just felt like McConnell has just been so much more important to the team's success on the bench and and he's kind of like that little spark plug that every team needs he just it's just so fun to watch him play and the energy that he provides it's just it's awesome so last question for you as we wrap this up kent the biggest x factor for this pacers or for the pacers to have success in the playoffs is
2: uh goga Thompson
1: goga no
2: okay. i'm kidding i'm kidding. gonna say I'm good kidding. grief going i, I, I gotta get a in? goga in there <laughs> at some point during our conversation i gotta throw goga in there or, or people get disappointed yeah <laughs> um the x factor vic you okay. know and and so it's not a matter of vic going out and getting 35 it's a matter of victor deciding that they're a better team when he gets 14 to 16 points than 25 to 30 points they're going to be more productive they're going to be in a better they're going to have a better chance to go win games in the playoffs with him being that guy rather than him being the guy
1: yeah well can't i'm going to keep with my theme that i've had all uh podcast long and i'm just gonna say it again i think it's miles turner and the reason i think it's him is because when we see him play with energy this team is so much better when he's asserting himself you know, down low against mismatches, when he's going after rebounds the way he's been going, when he's you know, determined to block shots, protect the rim, and, and not worry about what his role is on the offensive end and, and just plays his game. I think he can be such a difference maker. And, and if he can hit threes at a consistent rate in the playoffs, I mean, it's just going to make this team so much harder to guard. You got Warren and Vic who can drive at any time. You got Sabonis who is lethal in the pick and roll. I mean, if you guys if you can have guys stretch the floor for those guys to get into the paint, I think it's gonna be huge for this Pacers team. But I, I think that Turner is my X factor and I love the Oladipa one too. I think that he can definitely be a game changer. And it's gonna be interesting to see how teams guard him because you go in thinking, Oh, he's probably their best player. But after the surgery and the injury, you know, where do teams evaluate Vic? And how much will he progress as the season goes along? Because if he gets to who he was last year before the injury, I mean, it makes the Pacers really hard to guard.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's a uh, – uh, they they need all five guys. Yeah. You know, and and, and the better Miles is and the, the better the matchup works out, uh, no matter who they play against in the playoffs, the better it's going to be. Uh, hopefully, Miles – can continue to kind of be aggressive without trying to dominate and and understands and is he seems to have understand what his role on this team is and that if he can kind of kick that up a notch then you got something
1: absolutely well i think this wraps up our show we've gone about 50 minutes so hopefully you guys enjoyed it and we answered all your questions as we head into this last part of the season can any other words
2: no, no, all good. Looking forward to getting it back going. Next Friday, can't come here quick enough.
1: Absolutely, and maybe we'll get to see another two minutes of Goga in the first quarter to get you a little <laughs> bit happy. <laughs> all right, Kent, well, we'll see you next week. You guys can follow Kent at Kent Sterling, and I'm at Alex Golden NBA. We'll talk to you all next week.